Do you imagine that you saw the king as a father and the queen as a mother? I mean, one to attack and one to protect? They're just pieces. And anyway, it was the board I noticed first. The board? Yes. It's an entire world of just 64 squares. I feel safe in it. I can control it. I can dominate it. And it's predictable. So if I get hurt, I only have myself to blame. How interesting. Tell me, Elizabeth, have you ever heard of something called apophenia? No, what's that? It's the finding of pattern or meaning where other people don't. Sometimes people with this condition get feelings of revelation or ecstasies. Sometimes people find patterns and meaning where there aren't any. Hmm. And what does that have to do with me? Creativity and psychosis often go hand in hand. Well, for that matter, genius and madness. You think I'm crazy? Hello and welcome back to the Hostel 43 podcast. Today, we will be discussing a show that took audiences by surprise, making a thrilling and engaging story out of a game that a lot of people see as anything but. The Queen's Gambit. This was a really interesting one to analyze. It brought up a lot of really insightful and thought-provoking conversations, so we hope you enjoy the discourse. Have fun and happy listening. So, The Queen's Gambit, um, mm-hmm. it was really popular when it came out. It was, at the, I think it was, like, it, a month after it released, I think it was, like, Netflix's most watched um, scripted show or something. It went number one in, like, 65 countries or something. It was really good. However, I did not watch it at the time. Not because I didn't plan on watching it. It's just, like, sometimes inspiration to watch something doesn't just, it doesn't, catch me um yeah. so yeah the queen's gambit is a chess move it's an opening in chess that's yeah, basically yeah. to secure the center of the board and um as someone who doesn't play chess that means nothing to me but mm-hmm. it's a nice name and you know it fits the plot mm, of the definitely. show i guess um what do you think about the name <laughs> or the move i guess um you can take the queen and the game will still go on. <laughs> like people are always like, oh yeah, the queen, she makes all the moves. She's there making money moves. Yes. But then like, if you take someone's queen, they can still keep playing. And if they're, if your pawn gets to the other end of the chessboard, then it turns into a queen. And so it's like, is the queen really that important? Like if you can have multiple queens and, you know, are we, is, this is some like polyamorous relationship going on in this chessboard. <laughs> king with many many wives and also she's making all the moves which is just (laughs) i'm doing too much here but like i feel it's a metaphor for how in real life we 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 want women to do all the labor okay in relationships in the household she's cooking the food she's raising the kids she's cleaning the dishes and at the end of the day who who's the head of the house like who do they say is the real king quote you know it's a man so you know first it was the white pieces move first and now it's the queen and it's like mm, this chess is really it's it's real life <laughs> again 
I don't know enough about the game to like really go into it like this. Like the only thing I can, you know, try and be get critical about is the fact that one, like Bob said, the white character the, said the white the white pieces get to go first, and two, the pawns, you know, obviously the lowest class are all yeah. in front, you know, with the upper class behind them, and then they barely get to move anywhere, like one step at a time or two, I guess. And then the other ones have more freedom of movement and like a layer of protection. But like, yeah, that's, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, nothing else, like, what else can I say? So, yeah. And even the, the pawn thing, I was watching a YouTube video by The Take. It's a great YouTube channel that does film analysis and TV analysis. And um, they talked about the Queen's Gambit. And apparently the move itself, you start off by kind of sacrificing your pawn. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of like a metaphor for the show, the Queen's Gambit, because Beth Harmon, our protagonist, has to sacrifice a lot of things in her life. And da -da 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 -da. take so what you will from that, listeners. Do you want to say what you liked about the show? Because I feel like we have a lot of criticisms, maybe. Yeah. So, <laughs> um... I liked on about the show. I liked yeah. the cinematography and editing it was very interesting and just pleasing to watch. So that's mm -hmm. always fun when the show can do that. Um, because the show is based on a book, which first of all I didn't know about and I didn't bother to read or look up. Because, like I said, I thought the show was based on a real, on a true person. Mm -hmm. it's not everyone thinks that every like it's purely fictional <laughs> so yeah um and like yeah i like that the show was a, it's a limited series because mm. i have said and I, I will continue to say books should be made into series or like a limited series if they're going to do an adaptation or something don't make movies out of books anyway um that's besides the point um i found beth and in, i so beth was a character that I didn't really think I would relate to so well. Definitely not in the whole chess aspect or even the whole, like, she's a prodigy. She's a, you know, a genius at what she does. So, like, not that I don't think of myself as any kind of genius, but I definitely relate to her, like, passion for what she wants to do, you know. Mm. In her case, it's chess. In my case, it's, like, it's writing, it's filmmaking, mm. it's God. acting. You know, she discovered chess when she was younger, and then when she got older and came across that other child prodigy who was, like, I guess, 16 or something, and then she kind of resented him a little because she was like, if only, you know, she had the means or, like, people who believed in her at that age so, so mm. she could have started out being great that young. And that's a frequent thought. I Maybe not, I've not, like, recently I don't have it that much, but, like, growing up, that was always something, you know, I would... No resentment for it sounds like I hate anyone whenever I see people yeah. doing things that I want to do. Like, I can't help, like, I'm but be a little bitter that I didn't get to, you know, start out doing stuff like that or that I didn't get the opportunity to do stuff mm -hmm. like that when I was younger. But, like, nowadays it's more of the coaches. Um, when she asked him, if you're a world champion at 16, like, what would you do with the rest of your life? So, like, that is more where I am now, where, you know, I'm older, so even though I wish I did start out when I was younger, they're still thinking, like, if I come, because I wanted to accomplish so many things when I was younger, like, I wanted to be, like, the youngest, you know, child actress to do this or whatever. But, yeah. like, if I had done all those things when I was however old and young, like, what would I do with the rest of my life? 
especially seeing as how a lot of like child stars or actresses or whatever when when they grew up like they had a really rocky road so yeah i guess yeah just when she, whenever she would see stuff like that i'm like oh my god beth you are me and i am you so <laughs> Yeah, same. Cool. And I am both of you because uh, I feel the same. I, I think that's a natural thing to kind of resent young people. <laughs> Not, uh, I mean, we're still young people, um, yeah. but, you know, younger people and people who are so successful when they're super young. And you always think, why can that be me? Like, I have very vivid memories of watching like Disney Channel and being like, bitch, I could do this shit. Why? Why am I me not too. in high school musical? <laughs> Like, why is that not me? Um, <laughs> so I definitely feel you on that. Um, I think it's very interesting, um, Beth being a child prodigy. That's definitely one of the big sort of like themes of the show is being a prodigy, you know, a genius of any kind, but also being a child genius. And obviously she had a very difficult childhood um, being an orphan. <laughs> you know, when we meet her, her mom is dead and God knows where her father is. And then it gets, and like, we're already rooting for her kind of from the beginning, from the very first episode, because it's this orphan girl. It's very like Oliver's twist type scenario. And, you know, they're feeding her drugs. Um, So it's like, oh, this is not a very great environment. And then she gets into chess. She meets Mr. Scheibel. Um, and he takes her to the basement and teaches her chess. And um, I mean, he didn't take her there. She sort of just like found it. But it's really nice that, he takes a liking to her and teaches her this new skill. And then she grows up and she becomes this, this big international chess playing grandmaster person. So I don't know whether it was just like the ignorance of like, because back then mm-hmm. people didn't like, they didn't know as much about certain substances as we do now. Like, mm. you know, why you shouldn't, um, give little children tranquilizers mm-hmm. so I'm like i don't know whether it was just then because just like how in the past pregnant women used to just drink alcohol and then yeah and this was set in the 1950s yes. 50s and 60s is when the show was set yeah so there was definitely a lot of ignorance about mm-hmm. the effects of drugs but at the same time like even still it's like <laughs> yeah. they, knew, they knew what they were doing they exactly. literally got this girl and i'm sure other girl people there because she wasn't even mm-hmm. girl of the orphanage so i'm sure there were multiple drug addicts so it was also strange that like they yeah. didn't have a like set prescription like they just gave everyone drugs like as soon as you were admitted into the orphanage it's like you right. could all just take drugs so like it's it was like, definitely some, them or very negligent yeah that was mm-hmm. like because they can't all be suffering from the same thing it's like you're depressed have some fucking lithium or whatever <laughs> this is so, so, like, there's this, you know, that whole belief of substance, um, like drugs and alcohol, uh-huh. helping to unlock someone's full potential, like, you know, mm. creative genius or something. And yeah. um, so, with Beth, like, it was almost at the same time when, you know, she first got hooked on, or she first got introduced to the world of drugs. And, like, <laughs> when she came to the orphanage, and then that was the same time she... Um, got introduced to the world of chess, you know. So like, she discovered these things at the exact same time, and I think mm. for like some part of the show, it would explain why she thought she needed the drugs to be good because like yeah. she probably thought they went hand in hand. Um, as that became part of her journey, I think the show did a good job of showing 
addiction, but not glorifying mm-hmm. it. Because I feel like a lot of shows and movies, they fall into that trap of wanting to show something horrible, whether it's, you know, some kind of addiction or mm-hmm. like with you where, you know, Joe is a serial killer. And like, you know, lots of people say, oh. I thought you meant with you know, me. <laughs> <laughs> no, like the show you where it was addiction, people, like with you, Bob. You know, like <laughs> you're struggling. people they'll say, yeah, it's not glorifying, you know, yeah, zero killer, it's not glorifying Joe, but it kind of is. I mean, I don't know, it kind of is, but like with this one, I at least I don't think that they glorified it in any way. Like, all we mm. saw, like, yes, we saw how it's kind of helped her. Or at least she thought it helped her be yeah. at the top of her game. But it really wasn't helping her. If anything, it was holding her back. So Ooh. I like that they managed to props to them and kudos to them for doing that successfully. Yeah, I feel like we were it was definitely framed as a problem um that she had. Cause I remember the scene where she sneaks into the nurse's office to get the huge jar of, of drugs that was looking like Skittles or something, right? And then she, you know, had someone collapsed. And so it was definitely framed as, okay, this young girl has a problem. <laughs> she has she has a drug problem and she's probably using it to cope, you know, because her mom just died and that's very depressing and she has all these emotions and therapy isn't, back then, It's it wasn't what it is today. Yeah. Um. So that wasn't really an option. And, um, but it was definitely a reoccurring theme because when she wasn't doing drugs, then she was getting drunk and she was drowning mm-hmm. her sorrows, um, which is something she learned from her mom. So we talked about her being an orphan at the beginning yeah. of the show, and then she quickly gets adopted, I think, in the second episode by a woman who is also clearly mentally distressed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's she's a really nice woman, I think. She's very loving, and I think she really cares about Beth. But mm-hmm. she, you know, shares her bad habits with Beth and gets her into drinking alcohol from a young age when she definitely wasn't legal. And it's it's interesting because drugs and alcohol, you think of like rock star lifestyle. Yeah. You know, but she's playing chess. And so it's like you think of a nerdy person when you think about chess. So it kind of um, subverts expectations maybe a little bit that she would be into such hardcore stuff and yet be this sort of like proper composed, super intellectual chess player at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned Rockstar because mm. the these chess players were some <laughs> of the, I was watching someone talk about it and they said some of the most attractive chess mm. players. And I mean, yeah, but I also just found it, I found it kind of funny how some of them, like, when I think of Benny, I think, I feel like he was, I mean, oh. he was in the cowboy hats and had that cowboyish look, but like, he was a rock star, or at least yes, had the vibe of a rock star, and it was just funny to me because they are literally chess players, the whole stereotype mm-hmm. of chess players is that, you know, they're nerdy guys, mostly, who wear glasses yeah. and just, you know, have um wear ties and button up their shirts up to their necks and you know but yeah i liked the um characterization of most of if not all i mean yeah all the chess players um, yeah, was you, really cool and very like distinct and not at all what the stereotype of them is you had harry and the twins who are more probably stereotypical yeah them kind yeah. of nerdy and you know geeky about it um and then you had like the super intense chess bros who were like the ones she played against in competitions and in russia those were like 
chess is my life sort of thing but yeah our our main characters were all like cool and attractive which i mean it's hollywood so our main characters are always going to be cool and attractive yeah it is like the actors themselves are cool Mm -hmm. and attractive but also the characters Mm -hmm. they were playing it felt a bit more than just the you know regular hollywood casting hot people to play Mm -hmm. characters that aren't necessarily supposed to be hot if that makes sense yeah, yeah. Like at um, least with Benny, like he Benny is just a rock star in my mind. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. So if I saw that guy on the road, I would not think, oh, you're yeah, this guy that's really into chess or something. I would place yeah. him somewhere else. Hot people can be into chess too, boobs. I mean, <laughs> look at me. <laughs> but um, yeah, Benny, uh, we we stand Benny. Um, the actor's name is Thomas Brody Sangster, and he's been in a bunch of stuff. He was in Maze Runner. Yeah, he was in Game of Thrones as well. He was mm-hmm. the one pulling what's his face, three eyed raven across oh. <laughs> across the, the yes. Atlantic or wherever they were. Um yeah, I I feel like he should be in more stuff though. Like I feel like he should be Timothy Chalamet level of like fame and success, but he's not quite. And I don't know if that's a personal choice on his part, because he can act. We stand hashtag um, Thomas Gapes. Oh, not Thomas. That's not even a good. Where the Sanks, the Sangsters, the Birdies, where the Birdies. I like that one. That that sounds nice. Not making nice hashtags. Okay. Hashtag Birdies, hashtag Queen's Gambit. The reliance on drugs definitely fits into the sort of genius trope that Beth Harmon's character embodies. It's the sort of, you know, lone wolf. I'm so smart, but I'm also, you know, so passionate about chess and, you know, it's my passion slash obsession and it's it's going to be the death of me. Mm-hmm. You know, even Mr. Scheibel says to her, you know, you've got two sides of the coin. You have your gift and then you have what it costs. Yeah, course, like foreboding, yeah. oh, the addiction and the obsession and all of that stuff um, and the lack of friends because usually the genius person is like an antisocial white man. That's the stereotypical genius but it's interesting that it's a woman this time but i also have some issues with mm-hmm. that um not that the woman is a genius let me clarify but just like the execution on the show um but also the fact that mm-hmm. the genius is supposed to be antisocial like i don't know it's it's like why <laughs> or sorry not antisocial um, but like asocial because when you talk about antisocial that's like yeah. violence right so asocial she's just like apathetic yeah. towards social relationships yeah Something about the way Beth moved through the world mm. was like the whole—that's f- where the whole feminism thing comes in, right? Because they definitely like it was the fifth was the sixties, um, like when she was an adult, or when she, no, an adult when she was grown up. Yeah. So it was the sixties when she was, you know, doing all these things. So obviously there was sexism and discrimination, mm-hmm. but she, her character kind of moved through the world the way men often do mm. and she didn't really usually when that happens to a female character like there's some kind of punishment at the end of it like mm-hmm. i thought that i don't know if this is really the kind of punishment i'm thinking about but i um, i thought beth was going to die but this was when okay. i thought it was based on a real yeah. story if it was a real story beth would have died like addiction would have unfortunately gotten the better of her or whatever and she didn't you know get any punishment like that for the most part even though like i said there was still the discrimination against her for being a woman like how they would say she's too you know i guess flashy or she dresses too 
but well for someone who's into chess mm-hmm. or this or that. And like she made it her fashion was really important to her because um like when she could finally start dressing herself, that was something like, you know, when she, cause she, when she was in the orphanage, you know, they would dress mm-hmm. her. And then I think when she got adopted, her mom would, all, her mom would also dress yeah. her or whatever. Um, I think definitely it was, it was nice to see her clothing and, you know, it was always so well put together. Um, what is the costume? Oh yeah. Gabrielle Binder, I think is the costume designer. So shout out to you, Gabrielle, you did your tang. Yes, yes, yes. But also... I found it a bit confusing because why would she know how to dress that well? And if she had been in a boarding school her whole life and she just came out and also right. we never saw her looking at fashion magazines, like she seemed so focused on chess. Mm-hmm. So when did she have the time to go yeah. shopping and put all these exquisite outfits together? Like sis, how mm-hmm. <laughs> it just so much of Beth's life on the show is just a fantasy. And I think, that's, really, that's yeah. my biggest criticism of the show or well, one of my biggest it's that it just doesn't make sense in so many areas and like it's nice to watch her mm-hmm. you know triumph and do well but it's not like you were saying how does she just breeze through life this way and not even I didn't think she was gonna die or anything but I expected more bad things to happen to her or just not even more bad things yeah. but less good things to happen to her <laughs> like yeah her life was so expensive bad, yeah. Like outside of the orphanage and all of that, I mean, that's very sad. But most of her life was actually quite nice, <laughs> like that we saw. And you yeah. get the impression at the yeah. end that she's gonna yeah. live an amazing life, and she's just twenty at the end of the show. So it's like, whose life is like this? <laughs> because so the whole addiction thing, right? There was um, I think it was before the game, the final game she mm-hmm. played. Um, where she flushed the pills down yeah. and I was like okay you know yes great yes, she's you know variety she's winning um but then I was like she's an addict right mm-hmm. she, and did we ever see her going through like withdrawal symptoms mm. you don't just get over addiction you don't just throw flush your pills exactly. down the toilet like it affects you physically if you're addicted the way she was portrayed mm-hmm. to be so it's like even the show like wrapped up so nicely. Like when I said <laughs> that I thought she was going to die, this was when I thought it was based on a true story. Yeah. But like when when you start watching it, you're like, yeah, it does feel very much like a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Like the, the whole um sexism didn't affect her that mm-hmm. much. Um, apart from the things like oh how she's dressing and oh maybe the kids like when the twins were kind of looking down yeah. on her like oh maybe they um underestimated her but then they became her best yeah for the most part (laughs) right but like for in in, in, well when it mattered it didn't show up the way it realistically would in the 60s even if she's a white woman like that they still struggled a lot back then like you know she owned a house herself she was like she said i think she even bought it before she Mm -hmm. was 20 she was the breadwinner and like you know that wasn't looked up looked at as something that was weird when it came mm-hmm. to her, even though back then that was very much abnormal. She was like, Oh yay for I guess um program yeah. progress, but like progress didn't happen back then like that. So like it didn't it wasn't it didn't feel real. It's such a fantasy. And you know the thing about her 
like dying or something tra- i feel like you can have a story about a female grandmaster chess player person who's like cool and funny and great or whatever and and nothing bad happens to her like um what's her face on the internet <laughs> she just lives on the internet um elsa majimbo you know the yeah yeah, yeah. Is it the social media yeah like comedian she like she, makes yeah. jokes and she, yeah. throughout the place she's like ah oh, pandemic Sorry, I can come to your house. It's a pandemic. Um, and she became really popular on social media. And then she was on like doing stuff with Vogue and you know Netflix and all this stuff. And she plays chess. She's um, I think she has won like fifteen chess tournaments or something. Oh yeah. wow! I don't know if I think those are in Kenya. I don't know if any of them are outside of Kenya, like internationally. But she has won chess tournaments, so like she can play chess, right? And she seems cool. She's she seems I don't know her personally, but she she seems well adjusted. She's funny. She's pretty. So <laughs> so I do believe you can have a story about her life, for example, or or partly based on her life. Mm-hmm that is a really nice story and it doesn't have to be something tragic but like so many things that happened to beth were just so unrealistic (laughs) especially for the time and the era that she was in that i was like okay i'm enjoying this this is cute but i'm not taking any of this seriously at all even the way they all came together at the end to help her i you know i love the camaraderie (laughs) i love it but um it's like it's too too Disney Channel. It was, and like just how she would have all these people help her on the way, and that's another um, element of the genius trope on screen is that you know if you think about Hugh Laurie's Doctor House or Benedict Cumberbatch's mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes, you know he has Watson who yeah. just helps him and helps him, and you know is there to support him and be like, oh my gosh, Sherlock, you're such a genius. Or you know Sheldon Cooper on The Big Bang Theory, very asocial character, but um. I don't even know. I feel like they they basically, they tried to do that with Beth, but then tweak it a little bit. (laughs) And like, essentially my, my biggest qualm with the the show is that they were like, okay, let's write a male chess grandmaster person with a drug addiction, but let's put some spice and make them female. (laughs) It felt like that was the train of thought because even the way, like you've mentioned, uh, the show is based on a book and the book is written by a man called um, Walter Tevis and it was re- written in yeah. 1983 and his inspiration for the the character of Beth wasn't even a female grandmaster. Um, I'm not sure if there were any at that time. I think there were female chess players, but maybe not grandmasters. Um, but he based her character on three male grandmasters. So mm-hmm. how... Like, are you writing a female character, but then all your inspiration are like three dudes? And then yeah. even the the show is written and directed by a man, Scott Frank. And as a yeah. consultant in the this big 2020 or 2021, whenever the show came out, they also had a man come. What's his face? I don't know. His name doesn't even matter. But basically, <laughs> he's a male chess player and he's like a, he's like the father of chess or the best chess teacher in the u.s or whatever and it's like mm-hmm. so like no vaginas on set like was that the rule like we were like we're gonna have a female <laughs> chess protagonist but no women will be involved in the writing wow. directing consulting <laughs> nothing <laughs> I, that's what is that that's what they get wrong a lot when you have male characters writing women mm-hmm. and you're directing female characters like 
it can be done. A male, yeah. a, a guy, a man can write a good female character or a good story arc for a female character. Mm-hmm. But they often, like, they just get it wrong sometimes when they skim certain details. Like, you can't base a female character, especially if she sets so far back in the past, like, in the 50s or 60s. Like, you can't just base her off men and, like, that can't be exactly. it. You know, even if even if she did, she did have this kind of, you know, self, um, this innate sense of confidence or innate sense of, I don't know, entitlement that men often do. But when when you're a woman who is born and socialized mm-hmm. in a world in a world that is in a society that is patriarchal, there are certain things you internalize, mm-hmm. and especially and she was so young too, and like knowing what we know of her background, it wouldn't make sense that she turned out as self assured as mm-hmm. she did, you know. It was like if you hear if if you um when you hear that her character was based off three um mm-hmm. men, it makes like you you make sense to you because like yeah no woman would have been like that realistically like that's where guys get mm-hmm. you wrong when they try to write female characters. Yeah, like, but no. it's like even like I haven't read the book, so I'm not really gonna talk about the book. Um, I just thought it was interesting that the character is based off three dudes. But then in the adaptation of the book, when you're making a film in 2020, or sorry, a, a limited TV series, why would you not involve female grandmasters? Like there are women who are female grandmasters now today, even if they weren't there in the time that the story mm-hmm. is set. You know, there's a woman, um, yeah. Judith Polger. I think she's a Hungarian and she became a grandmaster at the age of 15 years old. Like, is that not Beth Harmon? Like, is that not kind of her story? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you talk to her? Like, I don't know. Like, why wouldn't you ask her for advice or make her your chess consultant on the show? It just doesn't really make sense. And there, I mean, also, yeah. No, go ahead. Oh yeah, I was going to say like it's it's another another thing that they fell into the trap of was how because Beth is the main mm. character, like I guess when the, there are, there are two other female chess players I can think of, one of them was that Russian woman mm-hmm. who didn't get to play with the guys, um, and then there was the other one who she beats, well like episode two or three when they were younger, like she yeah. beats her and that, like, that one met that that woman met Beth. Uh, met with Beth later and said um, that she was following her story because you know, she was like, oh yeah, I believe, you made me believe that women can do great things. And I feel like that's something a guy would obviously throw in to, to exactly. like, um, they threw that in just to be like, oh yeah, we either understand women or like, oh see, yeah, you know, I don't know, we're writing an inspirational woman. But then Beth gets the she gets the I'm not like other girls treatment because you know she's the main character and they're writing. Bitch, I literally have that in my notes. Like, no, you never understand. <laughs> Beth is so she is such a not like other girls and log whatever you want to call it, whatever the kids on TikTok are calling it these days. <laughs> she is that yeah. person, and it's so funny because when I when I first watched this show and I was. Um, seeing things on Twitter and Reddit and uh, reading people's opinions, nobody seemed to pick up that vibe. And I was like, "Are you guys blind?" <laughs> She's very much like the stereotypical, not like other girls. And that's how you know men wrote this shit as well, because not only is the sexism she faces very sort of superficial, like they have oh, the reporter mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, you look so nice. How can you look so nice and also play chess?" <laughs> like, yes. and she's just like, uh-huh. mm-hmm. "Well." 
I find the playing chess with an Adam's apple would be difficult or whatever lame comeback she had. <laughs> but also, like, like she is such... And I don't even know this is low-key sexist, but she's such, like, a dude in, like, just the way she moves yes. through life and, like, her demeanor. Dare I say picnic? <laughs> well, no. I don't think that's the right... It might be the right use. I don't know. Maybe. But, like, not only are Continue. all of her main friends, like, dudes in that final scene where all the mm-hmm. guys rally around her. And, like, it's really nice to see men supporting women. I think that's beautiful. But, like, how are yeah. all your main people, like, dudes and then one black girl? Like, okay. And then... There's yeah. so many scenes on the show where she just displays not like other girls' behavior. Like when um, Mr. Scheibel invites a dude to come watch her play chess and she smashes everything and she's so great and the guy gives her a doll. She literally walks over to the trash mm-hmm. can, looks at the doll and throws it in the trash. And I was like, okay. Um, I don't know why they would include this scene. <laughs> relevant another reason why her innate sense of fashion makes no sense you know not that guys can't be fashionable there are many fashionable guys but like when you you know think of all you mm-hmm. just said or her, her close friends mm-hmm. all guys you know she lived in an orphanage for like half or, or most mm-hmm. of her life um after she got adopted her family wasn't really well to do and she was constantly being dressed by her mother but then now she knows exactly. what kind of fashion looks great on her. Like, she knows how to dress well. Like, no, not even, I don't know, what's who's, like, the best fashion designer ever? Like, you don't, fashion isn't something that just comes from you. Like, it doesn't just come from your soul. <laughs> she can't be, she, she can't be a fashion genius the same way she's exactly. a chess genius or prodigy, like, no and like we never see her read a fashion magazine and that's like so so her throwing away the doll felt like a dig because it was like okay Mm -hmm. she's not like other six-year-olds or however old and i think she was like 12 then she's not like other 12 year olds she doesn't play with dolls dolls are beneath her so i'm like (laughs) i was like "Mm, okay but i kind of reserved judgment and then you have the scene where she's in high school (laughs) right and she just doesn't fit in mm-hmm. with any of the other girls in her year. And there's um, an episode where they invite her over for a sleepover and stuff. And she comes dressed kind of inappropriately. She's wearing this like black dress, which is a kind of formal. And they're all sitting around talking. And, you know, she's just not she's just not understanding the slang. And then they turn on the TV and this black and white TV. And there's some cute musician singing a song and all the girls are singing along. And she just doesn't sing along. And she feels very out of place and i was like but why but why would she feel if she like knows fashion and then later when she's having her drunken spiral thing she's listening to music so she obviously Mm -hmm. knows songs that are popular so why doesn't she they they don't explain why she doesn't fit in with other girls they're just like well she just doesn't fit in with other girls she's not like other girls (laughs) yeah and I'm like, fuck off, man. This is how you know a man wrote this shit. I'm like, so all the um stuff, um videos I watched about people talking about mm-hmm. the show, I could only find two. Well, I mean, I could have, I could have found more, but I watched like yeah. six Ooh, or seven. That's a lot. Research. Two, <laughs> but yeah, so I watched one woman talk about it, and then the rest were mm. men. Um, so most of them, the she, the woman who talked about it, she didn't really um go into she was just talking about the story and whatever. She didn't really touch on the touch, touch on the feminism mm. aspect, um. So I didn't get to hear her how she took that. But when the guys were talking about it, like they were really praising the way they wrote mm. 
you know, we're like, oh, she's so progressive. She's so cool. She's a cool um, girl. They were like, <laughs> they love, exactly. They were like, they were really feeling it. So I was like, oh, maybe I took it wrong. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, yeah. They think that's cool because they're all men and they are reacting to a female character written by exactly. a man. So, like, that's why they were like, so, like, that's, that's why they thought so positively of um about her portrayal. Like, it was funny because everything else they said to me, I was like, that makes sense. But, like, that was the one thing I took issue with, with what they said. And it's like, see, it's always that. It's like, and i've even seen women online praise the character and talk about how amazing it is and i do think it's very inspirational to just even just to see a female you know chess player because we don't see that very often and she's so smart and she's Mm -hmm. so calm and collected so like obviously inspiring but i feel like there are also these little kind of like hidden messages or like implications and the things that she does and the way she moves that aren't incredibly positive and just are not and feel very disingenuous because they basically just wrote a dude and then made the dude a a woman because even how she treats sex and relationships like she's kind of flippant about it she doesn't really care she's like oh i lost my virginity Mm -hmm. no biggie and then (laughs) when she has sex with harry oh my god this is another scene she has sex with harry who's so adorable and he's so cute and he's very nervous around her so it's kind of like the gender roles are reversed a little bit and then Mm -hmm. when they're laying in bed afterwards he's like clutching the bed sheet like up on his chest (laughs) and she's just there lighting a cigarette like she's freaking don draper from mad men or something and i'm like so calm so cool Mm -hmm. and it's like but like not saying that there aren't women who can just have sex and like it's nothing but like this is not like who does this represent exactly <laughs> not just with um feminism as it's you know as it is through the lens of guys mm-hmm. but i'm thinking of other like other i guess societal structures where there is an imbalance or, like, mm. or, or some kind of power dynamics um when so like whether it's you know racism and how people or within a press group, rather, and then there are the oppressors and the oppressed. Mm. I feel like sometimes when people want to think of the solution or, or what they think the solution is, is for those dynamics to be reversed. And it's like, no, you know, feminism is necess- at least the way I understand it. It's not necessarily, it's not to reverse the rules, because like, if you're reversing it, there's still going to be an oppressed and an oppressor. Mm-hmm. So like, in this case, why are you... You want to make an empowered woman. You want to make an enlightened, progressive woman of some sort. Mm-hmm. Like, don't make her a man. That's not the answer. Exactly. You're just making another oppressor out of a woman. It's like, although not not that she's an oppressor here, but like when it comes to oppressors and the oppressed, just a little rant on that. Exactly, and like just how she's just not like any women I know, and I know a whole bunch of women, a whole bunch of different right, right. types, feminists and hippies. <laughs> I've met them all, and I'm just I don't <laughs> see her. <laughs> any of my friends i see bits of her you know the intelligence the drive the ambition all of that stuff but then it's nothing else the only thing really feminine about her is that she's pretty and she dresses nicely but then even they don't even dig into that like i said we never see her obsess over fashion or talk about what she's gonna wear she just shows up looking glamorous Mm -hmm. this show is so fantastical i just i fucking cannot man and you're telling me that she's around what's his face thomas birdie sangster and she's not catching feelings i don't believe it it doesn't make sense (laughs) (laughs) like have you seen her Also, another thing that didn't quite make sense was that when she won her final Moscow Invitational chess thingy, um, there were Russian people that were cheering for her 
And um, <laughs> this was in 1968 uh, during the Cold War. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, I don't even, and it didn't even really click at first because I was watching the show with my family. And then my dad was like, It didn't click till now. <laughs> my dad was like, There's no fucking way like Russians are, he didn't phrase it like this, obviously. <laughs> but he was like, yeah. There's no way in hell like Russians would just be standing outside cheering for this this hoe when she leaves and i was like you know what that kind of makes like america and russia were literally at war like people mm-hmm. died over this whole cold war th- business so how would she just the power of beth Harmon, i guess that she 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 rises above everything <laughs> sexism um what's it called classism parentlessness <laughs> just and now like cold war and international politics and relations that now Russians are like, oh my gosh, Beth Harmon, Beth Harmon. They were literally cheering her name. That's like the equivalent of them screaming USA, USA. <laughs> I saw, well, sorry, one of the people I listened yeah. to, they were saying, oh, the, the way they described that was how, um, so they didn't even mention the war really. They mm-hmm. just said, oh, yeah, the Soviet Union, at that time, they were like detached from the Western world mm-hmm. or the American world. So, you know, and because I think chess culture is very strong in Russia, yeah. I don't know. So, like, Definitely. they appreciated her for, you know, being a champion at the game. And <laughs> I was listening to that, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But, like, now that you're saying it, I'm like, wait. Um, I don't know. even know. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I need to go do, go do some research because, like, no, that doesn't even make sense to me that they were so accepting and loving towards her. And she was competing against wow. Russians and other Europeans. Yeah, <laughs> like, she was playing for them then, perhaps, because, you know, everyone loves a stroke of genius. So if she was playing for Russia, maybe they would have liked, or the Soviet Union back then, they would have liked her. But, like, why are you trying for your the person who's coming to beat your champion? Right. And she's a woman, like, it don't, two plus two is not four. It's like, fish. <laughs> two plus two equals fish. <laughs> oh my God, that's so mad. And the way everyone was just so accepting of her. And again, it's nice to see. I'm not saying, like, I enjoyed watching the show. I enjoyed that mm-hmm. she had, you know, so much support and so much help. But it's not realistic. And at a certain point, like, <laughs> the lack of realism starts to irk me because I'm like, there's no fucking way that she was just in restaurants and Russian guys were like, oh, cheers, vodka, and all that stuff. <laughs> like, but, you um, know, Hollywood loves a happy ending and they, you know, they are notorious for everything in movies just being like great, unless it's a horror movie or something that's supposed to be scary. Our Hollywood loves gonna... happy endings. They right. love American exceptionalism. They love when others love Americans. Mm. It was like, that's what was presented with this. Yeah. The Queen's Gambit was definitely your stereotypical sort of hero's journey. Um, mm-hmm. Our hero starts off lonely and then they're thrust into this world and they have to adapt and figure out things and are triumphant in the end. And it's, and I mean, in that way, it's nothing special. But I think, you know, the chess gimmick and like her being a woman as well was like, ooh, it's not yeah. as fascinating. It was very beautiful to watch yeah. as well. The editing was really great and like, yeah, the cinematography. Like, there's just certain things that I appreciated. Like, mm-hmm. um, um, like obviously we've talked about the whole feminism thing and mm-hmm. how certain things weren't portrayed well. But then, like the general arc of the story is, you know, 
start like it goes it's like there's a rise in the middle with the middle being like the climax yeah. so like you know the rise and then the fall and then the rise again yeah. and then we see it almost like literally with Beth's journey you know mm-hmm. with her rise being you know her discovery of her talent mm-hmm. and then at the same time um the drugs and then the fall being the addiction mm-hmm. and then her rise again when she because like talent oh um only takes you so far right yeah and then, so like so when she starts putting in effort or at least try fight um trying to do um five herself you know she rises again and i guess that part um parts can be inspiring and yeah yeah definitely and i think um just being so male dominated and her rising above you know it's it's that's what really got people you know inspired and hyped up and all the white feminists were like yes yes Yes, Beth. cosplaying as Beth for halloween and all of that which is cute you know but i think sometimes you also need to be critical about about these things um yes i think the show did do some good stuff though like um i like how there was no sexual assault that was very pleasing because you yeah. know we've spoken about what's his face from downton abbey <laughs> extensively <laughs> and yeah. how he just likes to throw that in or whatever for spice but you know mm-hmm. typically with she had trauma but they didn't go to sort of the cheap trauma of you know oh she was sexually assaulted you know let that be the thing um, and I think yeah. more and more shows are moving away f- away from that. Also, I thought, I don't know if this is a reach, but I found it interesting that they kept killing her mothers on the show. And <laughs> I don't know. Very, oh my God, very Disney. <laughs> right. Well, it's actually Disney Channel. Now that the more you say it, <laughs> Disney could have produced the Christmas. <laughs> To be honest, let's go look at the studios. I'm sure there's a Disney connection. It's Netflix, isn't it? But uh, maybe somebody, I don't know if that was just like the second mom had to die to, you know, activate her downward spiral because she was doing so well before and like reopen old wounds with her original mother. So maybe that wasn't such an intentional thing, like, oh, let's kill her mom. Um, (laughs) The dads were also just absentee fathers <laughs> that were just not involved in the whole thing um but i thought it was kind of interesting that her mom was a genius like her biological mom was like a mm-hmm. mathematician who was really good and you know fixing problems but she had so many mental health issues um and so beth at one point you know talks about how she feels like maybe she inherited some of her problems from her mom and that's why she needs the drugs to like stabilize her and whatnot. Um, but yeah, so I think, but that's not true. So I think it's it's interesting that her her mom was smart, and so we can see oh the brains might have been passed down through her mother because uh, that's another common thing that when you have like a female scientist on TV shows and in movies, it's usually because like their dad put them onto science or like mm-hmm. like in the Interstellar, Jessica Chastain's character is into physics because of her father and he was an astronaut and all of that. So it's nice that the mom is a smart one and that the girl is also, you know, the daughter is also smart. I I thought that was nice. Mm -hmm. She was also crazy, but um, no one's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) When the baby, um, when she found, the way they killed of the mother, Mm. whether, you know, I don't know. Which one? The main, well, not the main, no. The second one? The adopted mother. Yeah. 
it's like but yeah like so i was just finding her on the bed and mm. and then like she got distracted earlier on in the game because she, oh, she, she got distracted because her mom wasn't paying attention and she was like probably looking or probably ready to go and give her like i don't know mm. talking to and then <laughs> dead and then even mr um Shibo, i mean it was sad because she didn't get to say goodbye and then mm. she was like oh she owed him ten dollars or like when she went back to the the orphanage, <laughs> she went into the the <laughs> and saw the table that they used to play chess on, and she saw the newspaper clippings and her face, and mm-hmm. that he had followed her career. Was like, oh my god! And he kept her letters. That was that was really sweet, and you know, really nice emotional moment. But again, furthers my point that like everyone in her life just seemed to love her and support her. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Even her black friend who shows up magically in the final episode only to loan her yeah. $3,000. <laughs> it's like, girl, <laughs> can I find a friend who can give me 20 pounds tomorrow? Shows take this ma- this magical Negro trope too far sometimes. <laughs> so someone mentioned that in the book, mm-hmm. <laughs> someone mentioned that in the book, um, the way that plays out, where, so, jo- so in the show, Jolene is the one who comes and like, Helps or whatever. Mm. But in the book, she seeks out Jolene, you know, in mm-hmm. her endeavors to better herself. So I would have liked it if she was the one who sought out Jolene rather than exactly. Jolene, you know. I'm like, I'm sure Jolene has stuff going on in her life. Why is she seeking out Beth to help her? Surely she's busy elsewhere. Also, again, another thing, like, it was the 60s in America, mm. like, civil rights, oh, yeah. traipsing around, like, it was she had her big afro that was a sick afro i want an afro like that i, I saw it and i was like you know what so perfectly round how did they how did they get their afro so round mine's always lopsided because i said i think the side of my hair um it goes down so it doesn't get perfectly round which is funny because like my face is round so why isn't my hair round oh also? god um yeah i think i genuinely have more hair on one half of my head than the other so like <laughs> I don't know how they were all rocking those big furs, but someone come teach me. Um, That's why they always had combs, because they were always combing Yeah, out. the Afro combs. But like, if, as soon as you sit and lean back on like your car seat, if it has flattened your Afro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can never... All, all those... Um, that's why my hair is like in a perpetual, I don't know, braid or something. Because mm-hmm. any style that like, requires me to leave it out is only... Right. Any style that requires me to like, leave it out in any kind of like afro wheels whatever yeah it's hard it's better be just for a picture i can't go out like that because i'm going to lean up on something mm-hmm. or it's going to shrink and it's not going to shrink mm. evenly definitely i don't know the but ma- i feel like we always bring up this magical negro things so i didn't even know if i wanted to talk, talk about it the fact that i bring it up it just shows you how prevalent it is, it is in media but also so. i don't i don't even know if this is like a perfect example of a magical negro just because everyone in beth's life is so magical like yeah harry who she beats in a chess game in high school shows up at her door one day like let me teach you how to play chess and (laughs) from nowhere so it's like why why would this random dude just come and then it turns out he likes her so like maybe that would be the motive but still Mm -hmm. like to just give her a phone call and he's like oh let me help you and she's obviously better than him but he yeah he just wants to be around her and help her as much as he can and then you have um what's his face 
Benny as well is very helpful towards her, even though he's a competitor at one point, but they quickly become friends. So everyone, and then you have Mr. Scheibel in the basement. Everyone in Beth's life is just like conspiring to have her succeed. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't even know if I can single out um, Jolene as like a magic, because everyone on the show is so magical. I mean, it might be rich, maybe, maybe not, but... I feel like the other people at least had something else going. Like yeah. they weren't, they weren't there to just help her. Mm. I think. Well, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's visible. <laughs> the twins were definitely there to like be sexist and then help her at the end. Yeah, and then help. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Um. Also, I feel like the writer had some sort of awareness of it. Like he tried to counteract it with a bit of dialogue that um Jolene and Beth had during squash. Yeah. yeah. Where Jolene literally says, hey, I'm not your guardian angel, you know, we're family sort of thing. So that I feel like that was them. Exactly. That was them being like, you know, this isn't just like a magical, you know, they're family. They're basically sisters, you know, reminds me of another black character we talked about last week. (laughs) Elena and I are sisters. Rhymes with Warney. I would die for Elena. Um. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And I mean, Jolene had some interesting stuff going on. She was having an affair with some married dude and she was a paralegal. <laughs> oh my God, the Jezebel and oh the magical my God. <gasps> Amazing. No. Boobs, I'm trying to shoot them some bit. I'm trying to like help them out here. <laughs> you know what? Let's give them props for her afro, even though that yeah. wasn't the embowered yeah. yeah. costume designer. So I don't know. Yeah, and I think the actress did a good job. What's her name? Moses Ingram. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and her first name is Moses. The act- I mean, cool. we haven't even talked. The acting was just yeah. Anya Taylor Joy. She's a great actress. Yeah, and yeah. So yeah. and then Anya. There was a weird thing they did though in the <laughs> in the flashback. They had the same actress play child version of her and grown up version of her, and I was like. I know black don't crack, but but hey, guys, they had a different actress for Beth. <laughs> like they had a child, an actual child, and then you have this grown woman with pigtails oh or whatever with braids. And I'm like, you do you think we don't know this? <laughs> Was it another Game One Stefan situation? <sighs> Unfortunately, <laughs> it would appear so. But she was actually supposed to be. She wasn't like supposed to be a hot person. She was supposed to be a, like a proper child. <laughs> it was. Oh, it was just no. a bit silly. It was like, couldn't you just get another young, um, black actress to to play? I mean, there are plenty of them, right? The, these kids are running all over the Marseille Martin and them. Just pluck one of them. If anything, they can have got you know. Because obviously there have been multiple people auditioning for Ju- the role of Julian. Get the mm. person that would have got it if the actress who got it didn't get it. Mm. It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she was still available. Exactly. And someone who looked really young, but I don't know. <laughs> Budget maybe. Um, <laughs> um, or they thought we wouldn't notice. I don't know. Speaking of acting, there's this... Um, the One of the side characters at the orphanage, I think mm-hmm. she was the choir mistress. Yeah. Um, I think I believe she was, she's transgender. It's a transgender actress that plays that role. Mm-hmm. And... It didn't, like, bother me, but I was slightly confused when I was watching it because I was like, is this person trans? I think this person's trans. But no one's mentioning that they're trans, so I guess it doesn't matter. But then also, why Mm -hmm. would she be trans? (laughs) So I don't know. I I was wondering if you had any thoughts, if you even noticed that, because some people didn't notice Um, at all. 
I don't even remember the person you're talking about because, oh. like I said, I watched this all yesterday. So, God, this what happens when you binge. This is what happens. Right. When I'm going to rewatch it properly again this weekend, so I'll probably know by then. But I mean, like, I don't think <laughs> trying to word phrase my mm, words correctly. Need to be careful. But, like, <laughs> you know, nowadays when because of the inequality and um, mm. unfairness when it comes to casting, you know, that people want people who are true to the characters. Like, mm-hmm. people want gay people to play gay roles. People want, yeah. like, you know, obviously if you're black, that yeah, you should play mm-hmm. the role of a black person and so on and so forth. Acting fundamentally is just like, you know, playing a different role. Yeah. So I guess, I think, when I think of it just that way, I'm like, yeah, you can't, you mm-hmm. should be able to play anything as long as you can play well. Yeah. But because we don't live in a perfect society and a perfect world and like there's so much injustice and unfairness mm-hmm. in the in Hollywood. So like yeah, for now or and like until things are right, yeah, we mm-hmm. should have you know, gay straight straight people shouldn't play gay roles and so on and so yeah. forth. But then when it come, becomes the reverse, it's like, okay, so that does that mean then that only straight people should play straight roles? But you don't have, mm. like, in How I Met Your Mother, Neil Patrick Harris is very openly gay, but he played yeah. Barney, who was like a notoriously straight guy. And then he wrote like this, where, you know, the actress is transgender, you know, does yeah. that mean only trans? Like, obviously, people are also yeah. saying um, only trans people should play trans characters, but like, does that, that now mean only cis people should play cis characters? Yeah, I don't think so. But it it was just kind of confusing because I feel like it would be like if the character was supposed to be a transgender woman, then you would bring up the issue of, okay, that's not true to the time that, you know, this trans woman would be working in an orphanage in the 1950s and no one would bat an eye, you know, everyone's just like, yeah, "Yeah, that's normal. But then I believe the character was just supposed to be a cisgender woman, but was being played by a transgender person. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... That's fine. I think trans people can play cisgender roles. I I also think gay people can play straight roles because it doesn't yeah. really matter. Mm-hmm. I feel like the only place where I like draw the line is race stuff. Just because like, how would you have a white character like play as a black person without doing blackface, for example? You know, then you get into <laughs> that's yeah. Because... Like race and gender are not. I think people are trying yeah. to make it seem interchangeable. They aren't. Yeah. It's not the same thing. But race, I don't know. Yeah, but the only it's thing different. that, like, for me was just, it was just distracting because I could tell that she, that she was trans. Yeah. Yeah, she, I think she was the choir mistress person. She just, like, sang songs. And also, there was a scene of her singing, and then she sang with this, like, super deep, like, baritone. Uh, maybe this is bad, but, like, she's not passing well enough or mm. something. So I don't know I if I can that. Because like when I see, okay, Laverne Cox, for example, I feel like she's a very popular, very famous trans woman. When I see her in f- films playing a cisgender person, I'm like, okay. Like, I'm like, yeah, I believe that she's cisgender. Like, it's not even a question. Yeah. But then when you have a trans person who is so obviously trans, but then their transness is not part of the narrative. In, and this is a story set in the 1950s. <laughs> it just leaves me a little bit confused. I think that mm-hmm. I was just a little bit like, what's going on? Yeah. It's like they're trying to do a, a hint of what Bridgerton is doing. Like, because when it comes to um, historical or like period pieces, in the past, 
you know, it was like, okay, yeah, we're going to have to be true to the time. But now that, you know, it's not based on anything real. These are these are purely fictional characters, so you can, you know, do any like just cast as blindly as possible. Um it just like it's just another thing that, you know, makes it feel such like such a fantasy or makes the story story feel like such a non realistic show. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think, um, like you mentioned earlier, acting, you're supposed to be somebody else. So it's like acting is inherently transformative. As long as you can transform into the character you're supposed to be, then fine. But then I think the little hiccup with this character, it didn't feel like a full transformation. Because I could still tell that the person was trans. So that's so that I think is really the issue. If I had to, it was just like, okay, yeah, just need to make sure the listeners understand more because you know, these people <laughs> they don't know me. Who knows who's gonna listen to this? So, again, oh obviously, this will be the episode that blows up <laughs> exactly. This is the one episode that people who've never listened to us before listen to, and they're like, these whores <laughs> talking about they hate trans people. That's not even it, like. I'm glad we're on the same page. So, like, if I go down, yeah, I don't this, disagree. With, I don't agree with you at all. Um, <laughs> <it's horrible. laughs> I watched my boobs. I'm great. <laughs> I'm actually oh. to get rid of you. What is wow? I can't even have my back. Small oh. controversy. Not even potential controversy. You're not even. I'm like... the first size of controversy. I dipped. Like, it was like. <laughs> Like, nah, I don't stand with you on this. Even though you basically just agreed with me, but it's all right. I'm like, yes, I completely agree with you, except I don't. Yeah, so like the obsession, the mental health, creativity thing, and, oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Again, like, this is the part of the show and Beth that I relate to. The, like, mm. the mental health aspect, the obsession um, with chess that she has, I don't yes, know if I've ever been passionate about sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know if I've ever been that passionate about something because you keep saying that you relate to Beth and like mm-hmm. I have things that I'm passionate about, but I've never had that sort of like single minded focus on anything in my life. Yeah, because I, I think that's kind of almost like a symptom of mental health issue. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if that's healthy to really be Obsessive so into something. something. Exactly, because I know it's people not... with <laughs> bipolar uh, personality disorder often talk about having manic episodes where you're just like invested in something random, even if it's like sewing, you're like, I'm going to sew the best garment <laughs> I've ever sewed. <laughs> like you're just so into it. So it's, it becomes this obsession. Yeah. And I don't think that's healthy at all. And I think that there is definitely this trope, especially with, again, the genius child prodigy that you're supposed to be completely obsessed with what you do like we see it everywhere uh, it's definitely not healthy uh, i guess the word obsessed or obsession doesn't really have a positive connotation or ring to Mm-mm. it so um i think even mr shibel when he was talking to he said something to her i'm going to paraphrase because i don't remember the exact sentence but it was talking about how like he wasn't as great at chess as she was mm. because he wasn't obsessive very the way she does. Yeah, we tend to glorify that sort of thing. Like if you look at what's that Natalie Portman Swan Lake. Black Swan. Black Swan, yes. Swan Lake. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
But yeah, she like the black swan type, you know, it's like art is my life, ballet is my whole life. So I'm going to transform and, you know, almost kill myself to do it. And she also suffered, the character suffered with mental health issues, you know, that kind of fueled her passion as well. Because it was like, oh, it's like it went from, oh, I'm really interested. This is my whole life was kind of like fueled by her mental imbalance. And I feel like we tend to glorify that sort of thing, you know, especially when someone is overtly successful and they have money and they have awards and fame, then it's almost like, okay, it's it's fine that you don't see your family, you know, for two years, or it's fine that you don't have a social life. We, yeah. we think of it as, you know, the price, you know, like the price of success type mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the show kind of does that as well mm-hmm. with Beth. I don't know if they ever really correct that glorification like they make her give up drugs but they don't they don't really chastise the fact that she's so obsessed with chess and like so she pushes people away and Mm. well like they keep coming back but like realistically the way people would react to you constantly like there's always so much not everyone has such high tolerance there's always so much people can take if you're pushing someone away they will stay away for the most part but no they all come back because they really care about, which is nice. Like it's nice that they care about her, but like again, mm-hmm. she, no, they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. At least not all would, you know. Yeah, you'd have come back at least for their mental health. Mental health, like that whole artist, um, thing with depression and mental health, whatever, and mm-hmm. it's another thing that I also struggle with again not liking myself to any kind of genius but I remember like years ago I was thinking about how you know I was like really depressed Mm. I know that I was enjoying like nobody enjoys being depressed but in a weird way it was like almost fueling my creativity like I was channeling that Mm. depression and like it's messed up when you think about it because again no one wants no one enjoys being depressed but Mm. there's that stereotype of you know artists being i don't know tortured real, souls tor- tortured souls mm-hmm. and then i mean that's why obviously those people those of artists who are depressed do um um escape with drugs or use that mm-hmm. to help suicide. channel their creativity and then it leads to suicide so mm-hmm. like it's just it's <laughs> part of like there are other little things there that I could just i related to in a very Unco- like it actually made me a little uncomfortable how I was like mm. like this is very odd and um, just mm. very un- relatable in a very uncomfortable way for me yeah I think that's interesting and definitely I can see how you having any sort of strong emotion be it sadness or elation or you know anger how that could you could easily turn that into art because, you know, that will fuel whatever painting you're going to paint or song you're going to write. You know, people write some mm-hmm. of the best songs when they're going through a breakup. You have yeah. all your Taylor Swift songs and Mary Adele. J. Blige, Adele. Adele's whole career, if we're being honest, <laughs> is about her heartbreak. Um, and it's beautiful. The music is very nice. But also, Adele is not a depressed person as far as I know and I can tell she doesn't mm-hmm. she, she hasn't really come out to say that oh she just lives all her days in a cave like I if you watch Adele therapy for her 
exactly her yeah and she expresses she expresses herself in her music and she goes about her date like if you see her in interview she's talking about oh yeah going to the club and that i just met beyonce and like she's she seems like a nice you know fairly stable person who just happens to go through some bad things and so like mental health issues do not have to go part and parcel with talents and Mm -hmm. i feel like that's yeah that's a moral that i don't know this show really emphasized like they kind of told her not to take drugs and do alcohol but they didn't really talk about how like she just needs to be a well-adjusted human being in general yeah it was like the drugs and alcohol were the problem Mm. even though no i mean like they were part of the problem her addiction definitely was but aside from that she was she had other stuff that so because like at the end when she you know got clean supposedly Mm. and then she played the final game and like you know it was very different from when she was playing that game earlier on in the um, show and she had to leave and go and take some pills and because like she was shaken up apparently but like she Mm -hmm. she had to take the drugs because she thought the drugs she needed the drugs to succeed but then in the final game she's clean as far as you know Mm -hmm. So, like, she realizes that, yeah, she doesn't need the drugs. Like, it's all her talent. Like, it's all her. The drugs don't help her. Or they portrayed it as if the drugs are the problem. Which, like I said, yes, the drugs are also part of the problem. But she also has mental health issues that were not addressed. Mm -hmm. So, it's like, it was like the mental health issues were either ignored or they were supposed to be um, caused by the drugs. Yeah, exactly. doesn't make sense mm-hmm. and it's like you just need a healthy work-life balance like she didn't even really have that <laughs> and i think like was depressed healthy. and lonely and right and she had and been then. through she needed therapy and needed like, therapy. actual <laughs> you know proper help so that she could maintain the relationships you know all these magical friends and ex-lovers who just show up to help her even though she gives them absolutely nothing yeah like she needs to work on maintaining healthy relationships with the people she supposedly cares about and all that stuff but yeah you don't need you don't need to be depressed to be an artist i don't know whoever's listening to this right now you don't need to go through some big traumatic <laughs> you event need to cut up your ear to you know exactly. and make it into the louvre exactly like it doesn't need to be some big thing even to be a genius if you think about you know her more as an intellectual than an artist mm-hmm. you have um what's that movie hidden figures if you compare taraji p henson's character in that film to anya taylor joy in queen's gambit you can see like a normal <laughs> regular person who just happens to be really good at math mm-hmm. and you know does phenomenal things versus overly dramatic tortured soul narrative and i just think that narrative is a bit like overhyped and i think particularly now a days when we're getting more um conscious of mental health issues and stuff like that we just need to be a bit more careful yeah. that not like you can show these characters but also show like that this is not the right way to be or like you can also succeed without being like this also the pressure to be genius and Mm. the absolute best of the best um we need less of that talk about it the best as two african children (laughs) (laughs) right like along with the thing i said earlier of how i related to what she said when she saw Mm. the younger child prodigy she was like you know if she presented the child because she didn't start earlier. Like, yeah. And 
not only did I want to start earlier, I also, you know, in my head, I had this, in primary school, I was like, you know, really smart and good. And I mean, not uh, that. Yeah. So talk about it. Not that I was. <laughs> so because, partly because of that, I kind of had this self-imposed idea that I needed to be it's some kind of genius or prodigy. So for mm-hmm. the, for like years after that, even after secondary school, um, when I had zoned in on what it is I wanted to do, and then after leaving, it was now, now I need to be the best at what I want to do. And I carried that mentality for so long. Yeah. And obviously it becomes disappointing, especially what you, when you want, especially when what you want to do is art-based. Because when it, like art is subjective, if it comes to yeah. science, I'm like, okay, if I was like some kind of mathematician, I could fight to be the best, you know, the fastest math solver or whatever. Like there's a way to properly cal- um figure out who the best at math is. And even like that, that, like there shouldn't be a pressure to be the best at, even if it's something you can quantify and calculate, it shouldn't, there shouldn't be a pressure to be the best. Yeah. That and also the fact that it's just, it's you just constant disappointment when you don't feel when I, I I didn't feel like I was living that I was becoming the best or mm-hmm. a genius in the way I wanted to be like you they can like you can you can want to be the best you can be but the pressure to be the best in the world I don't know or the best in your class competition yeah. brings <laughs> misery this is turned into a low-key therapy session it's right so good who would have thunk it? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, f- I feel like definitely that struggle to be the best. And also when, like, you're not trying to be the best version of you, but you're trying to be the best at something, you mm-hmm. place all of your self-worth into that thing. Yeah. So then when you're not the best songwriter, you're not the best, I don't know, chess player, it's like, oh my God, who even am I? <laughs> so right. you, you have a real identity crisis. I don't know if this show really explains Lord that but that would have been interesting to see he didn't yeah like the show doesn't need a second season but at the same time it didn't wrap up very well it it didn't wrap wrap up in a very satisfying way it was very condensed because seven episodes it's a limited series yeah but seven episodes also isn't all really a lot i think 10 10 is a good number Mm. for a story you know like with those three extra episodes they could have either gone deeper into some stuff like you know i think you you mentioned something earlier about recovery like when she flushed the drugs on the toilet she didn't really seem to be too fussed about them later on and you know for someone who has had a drug addiction basically her whole life or like you know for about a decade she's been addicted to these drugs and mixing them with alcohol maybe an episode where she really you know grapples with rehab that might have been interesting and that would have really added more depth to her character yeah. you know she would she would have had the support of you know her friends and jolene and you know everyone in her life but we would have seen i don't know we would have seen maybe a vulnerability to her more like a a, a genuine yeah sort of vulnerability i guess is the word because like bad things happen to her but She's still not very sympathetic. Yeah. Yeah. They don't phase her. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They kind of phase her, but like for only a short time. Yeah. (laughs) I don't really know how to say it because we do have the episode where 
you know, she's in her underwear drinking and, you know, but even then she still looks pretty decent. You know, she looks like she's having a, a night in. Because <laughs> like, the, the thing with alcohol and drugs is that people use them, like it's not, people use them to escape. Like the people who do, mm. at least the way Beth used it is like people who use it the way she used it, they use it to escape whether it's whatever feelings or emotions they're going through or whatever situation they're going through. So, like, when you take that away, you know, it's kind of like shutting your humanity off in my diaries. You know, Mm. you don't want to feel that. Mm. But, like, when you turn it back on, those, like, it's still going to be there. Those emotions don't go away. But with Beth, they didn't, like, they showed the addiction. I guess maybe they showed one side of it well. But then they completely ignored the other side, which like they never showed her going through withdrawal, which is what, mm-hmm. you, especially if you're addicted to drug and alcohol, like the withdrawal must be sick. Exactly. But we didn't see her going through withdrawal. Um, you know, it seemed like the drugs, the absence of the drugs, took away all emotional, all the emotions that she was going through. Which mm-hmm. when I think about it that way, it makes even less sense because it's like, okay, then why was she taking drugs in the first place? Because, like, the drugs are bringing on the pain and the misery. So, like, why was she taking them if, like, now that she doesn't do drugs, she's fine? Yeah. Like, you know, I think there's a catharsis that is missing from the show. I think yeah. that's the word. There was no real moment where I felt like, oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, no, no. Even, and, you know, even a good crying scene where I mean I, there was some crying scene, but even a good scene where I'm like, oh my god, I want to cry with her. Like she, I don't yeah. know. She, like there were two moments where she was seemingly at the bottom, but it didn't even mm-hmm. feel like she was at the bottom. I don't. No. And then like ten minutes later, she just like rose above it and went about her day. <laughs> and you're like, um, okay, so what? that just seemed like it was mildly unpleasant. Like it doesn't seem like the earth shattering (laughs) moment. It should have been. I remember the scene where she, um, again, she goes back to the orphanage and she sees the pictures and, you know, she comes back to the car with Jolene and starts crying. And that, that was a good moment. I felt like, you know, that's something that would happen because she's like, Oh my God, this dude who I didn't really give a shit about, but changed my life really cared about me. So she probably cried in the basement. No, she cried in the car when she came back. Yeah, you talked to Jolene yeah, in the car, and then Jolene was comforting her. You know that that would have been a really good moment, um, because she probably felt some guilt or regret, or you know, and she also missed him maybe, even though she didn't speak to him once she left the orphanage. But that's another thing. If we had had more on that, maybe more dialogue or more scenes where she's genuinely depressed and she talks about how everyone in her life dies and leaves her or you know something with a bit more to it but but then she cries and next thing she's playing chess and she wins and the reporters are asking her oh who inspired you and she's like oh mr shable uh he's a janitor he taught me chess please print that you know she's now back into like boss bitch everything's together mode and i'm like Again, who is this person? She's not a real person. <laughs> and like, see, that's where it would have made sense just just from your writing perspective. Mm-hmm. If she broke, because her journey began in that basement. Why didn't she have the breakdown in that basement? Like, mm. why did she go to the car to cry? Like that, especially like 
<laughs> even just that would have been another place to even have like a nice editing shot if she you know because that table where she sat and played with mm-hmm. Mr. Shaibo was still there. Like she could have sat in the same spot she sat, but you know, obviously in the past Mr. Shaibo was on the other side and now he's not, you know, the other side is empty and like as she's looking through where he would sit, she now mm-hmm. notices the clippings. I don't know, like they could have that club <laughs> Very yes, director boobs. I love um, an intensely moving scene, and mm-hmm. but back to the thing we said about how um Beth is such a dude. Like when they want to ride <laughs> bus as babes, you know, and park mm-hmm. babes, it's like oh, they don't really have emotions like that. She can just be cold, and I'm like, I mean, no, she can still very much feel. Just emotions don't make you weak. She can be a strong character and still be a character who cries thinking about her origins and how her exactly. story began, especially. Yeah, like even <laughs> It's not that hard. <laughs> really? They didn't write her crying in the basement. Really? No, she, she, I mean, she did cry. <laughs> but it wasn't it was in the car and it was really briefly and next thing i don't know she was playing squash or some shit and i'm like girl <laughs> that's there's no yeah the emotion i don't know they probably tried not to make the show too heavy they you know they skimmed over a lot of the sexism and misogyny that would have probably been rampant at the time for a female chess player they skimmed over even the racism and stuff they mention it in passing but it's not yeah. really we don't dig into that even though it was the fucking 60s so you know jim crow segregation all that shit um so yeah they probably wanted you know a somewhat light-hearted fun thing but i don't maybe i don't know maybe we're too deep or we're too sad maybe. or something <laughs> that we want you know we want pain or we want, we want tears we want snot we want, we want viola davis crying oh, yes but where was viola she, where was she <laughs> Maybe she would have played Jolene. I mean, since they didn't care about aging <laughs> the actress down. <laughs> it just, the when the show lacks things like that, it just falls a little bit flat and mm. does feel a little bit like Disney Channel. Like you yeah. said, this is very much <laughs> something that, this could be a Disney original because they do cry on that show as well. <laughs> um, usually, at, you know, small things like, oh, my mom is sick or, or something. And then, you know, they break down. A little bit and then next episode they're dancing again like (laughs) (laughs) this show is just a little too unrealistic for me yeah Mm, i was just gonna say uh earlier that the cinematography was very good and it looked really pretty and i liked how especially in the final episode they had the lighting really nice with the chess competition you know the spotlight was on the chess board and then you see the players and I thought that setup was really great and also the editing in general was really good because a real chess game on that level is like 100 minutes for the first 40 moves I like I googled this and I could not (laughs) believe it (laughs) you have 100 minutes to start and then you have an, an additional 30 or 50 minutes afterwards and it's just ridiculously long so I think being able to have you know the actors choreographed to play chess in a very interesting way and then also edit that to cut between the actors emotions and the chess board and so you could kind of see what was going on if you actually understand chess but then Mm -hmm. even if you had no clue you could just look at the actors faces and be like oh okay i understand exactly (laughs) what's going on tension is tension when done well and they did it well yeah, they created tension. And the editor, uh, Michelle 
Tesoro. Tesoro, mm-hmm. I hope I said that right. Um, a woman, yay. <laughs> uh, Michelle <laughs> Tesoro. Um, she said in um, an interview with The Hollywood Reporter that she edited the chess scenes the way you'd edit dialogue, which mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting and cool. Um, mm-hmm. I, I tried watching chess on YouTube afterwards, <laughs> and it just wasn't the same. Because <laughs> oh. now I was watching the, the full match, and I'm just no like, dialogue. Oh. No eternal dialogue or no nothing. So my final thoughts on the show was just what what I took away. You know, the show had a lot of really interesting themes. You know, there was a theme of obsession, the theme of mental struggling with mental health, you know, depression, and then self destruction that came the self destruction that comes along with both obsession and um depression you know combined with need for perfection the way beth had it and then it was also a coming of age story because she was a teen girl for most of the show and then 20 by the time the show ended and then which i mean i know that but for some reason it just registered now that this was a child (laughs) yeah okay and then you know addiction obviously and then the loneliness that she faced because People in her life kept on dying or she was would push them away. The show touched on those issues. And while it didn't touch on all those issues perfectly, it still did a good job. Going into the show, like I said before, I thought it was, a, um, it was based on a true story. So I was expecting a darker tale, I guess. It ended mm. up being much lighter than I thought. So yeah, it was really... It was good. It was entertaining. It was very well done extremely well acted it was a good show very entertaining and engaging yes i feel i like the show the queen's gambit i think it's a great show it's fun it's exciting even though it's chess um it's definitely something you can watch with friends watch with family and Mm -hmm. i i completely understand people who feel like the show is inspiring for young women if that's what you take from it, then perfect, because we do need more young women to be inspired and to go into chess and science and STEM and, you know, super intellectual male-dominated fields. Um, because, you know, girls are just smarter than boys. We all know that for a fact, um, <laughs> if we're being honest. But um, this is why they didn't want to let us into schools for so long, because they need, like, we just overtake them. That's why but, we're yeah. oppressed. Exactly. They don't want you to know. They're afraid of our power. Um, (laughs) But yeah, Uh, but for me personally, I just, you know, I spotted a few issues in it. Like, you know, Beth being a not like other girls type character. I felt like the character of Beth Harmon was really a male protagonist that they just decided to make female last minute. And that threw up some issues when it came to storytelling. I also found that her character was quite shallow in some aspects um which i guess is given that it's a limited series of only seven episodes you know how much could they really dive into her psyche yeah but still like i feel like they could have done more um i really liked the editing and the cinematography and the costume design were all great so visually it's a very appealing tv show but Thematically, I feel like some things were missing. Mm-hmm. And plot-wise, something there were definitely one or two episodes that could have been inter- injected yeah. um, 
into the show. That would have made it so much better. 10 out of 10. Um, Finally, I just want to say that Beth Harmon is not the feminist icon that you think she is. And... (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I feel like this is actually similar to the Gone Girl character. What's her name? Oh my God, please. Yes. (laughs) The female (laughs) protagonist in Gone Girl. I feel like Beth Harmon gives a similar vibe. You know, she's not a killer by any means, but it's a character who on the surface seems quite feminist and, you know, quite radical. But really, when you just scratch a little bit, you you can see the cracks and you can see the flaws and you can see how she, in many ways, is not the female fantasy but the kind of the male fantasy mm-hmm. of what like a smart cool exactly. chess girl would be yeah and i think we'll <laughs> we'll end on that note <laughs> so that was the queen's gambit episode we hope you enjoyed it don't forget to follow us on tiktok instagram and twitter at hostel underscore 43 same handle on all three accounts Um, and let us know what you think any feedback what you agreed with us on what you disagreed with us on or what you think we missed you can rate and review our podcast on apple Podcasts if you're listening there or you can answer the question we leave on spotify you'll find it in the episode description thank you for listening and see you next time